We're going to have a good time tonight. We're going to continue a little bit on this study of the principle of full mention. Principle of full mention. So open your Bibles with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word and the opportunity to study it. Father, thank you that um, that you have put the Bible together in such a way that, that you have revealed yourself to us in very specific ways. Lord, help us to learn more about that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 3, look at verse 1. <clears throat> My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man... Offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey, obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. And it goes on, verse 8, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. So, when you look at this subject of full mention, well, James chapter 3 is the full mention of the tongue. And if the, the specific verse that you would say, okay, so what does the Bible have to say about the tongue? Verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, full of of deadly poison. I want to show you something. This is from Edwin Hartle's book. He said, the tongue is a bucket with which you bring up that which is in your heart. Let me read that again. The tongue is a bucket with which you bring up that which is in your heart. So, man, I'm just telling you, let's just be honest. How many of you, your tongue has ever gotten you in trouble? How about that? And it's going to happen to me someday. <laughs> I'm sure. One of these days, I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. Um, <laughs> I think the first thing I said got me in trouble. And so when the Bible, when it's an important subject like this, there will always be a declarative statement about this subject. And if God's really interested in it, you're going to get a whole chapter of the Bible on it. And that's what we have with this conversation of the tongue. It's vital that we see that. But let me give you some other references of full mention for things. So if, if you wanted to know the passage on the resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, vital. You've got to understand 1 Corinthians 15. And when you understand 1 Corinthians 15, that's a blessing because it teaches us about the resurrection of Christ, but it also teaches us about our own resurrection how it's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. 
It's going to happen that quick. And so we learn things about resurrection in that full mention passage of resurrection. It is interesting. Um, I all talk to preachers who don't really understand right division. And I'm talking about preachers that, that would be independent Baptist preachers. They don't really understand it. And they, because of passages like 1 Corinthians 15, they think that the Old Testament saints, like Abraham and others, understood resurrection the same way that we do. Well, how could they? It had not been revealed yet. That, and, of course, we looked at progressive revelation just briefly, progressive mention. This concept of resurrection begins in the Old Testament, but we don't really know about it until we get to 1 Corinthians 15, when God gives us that full mention of it. Very important. The tongue in James 3, restoration of Israel. That God's not done with Israel. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 11. And I know that many of you know a lot of these because we use them all the time. Romans chapter 11. And look with me at verse... Twenty-five. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so here's the full mention. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins." That's, that's the full mention. God is not done with Israel. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then God's going to start working with Israel again. And they are his people. Why? Because in verse 20, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And it is interesting. We know that verse, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. But I, I don't think that, now I know that you know this, but I don't know that a lot of people know that's talking about Israel. That, that, that verse, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, you can apply it to your own calling or to the things that God has done for you. That's a perfectly appropriate application because that's a statement about God. But the context of it is God's not done with Israel. So it's a full mention of Israel. Then, so what would be the full mention passage in the Bible about faith? Hebrews 11. Let's look at it. Hebrews 11. You didn't know there was going to be a test, did you? And I like it that the definition of faith is given in the first verse. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then the rest of the chapter is an illustration of the way that faith works. If you want to know about chastisement, God disciplining, and how that works, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1, full mention of discipline. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now remember that word despise in the Bible is don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. So my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. What's that next word? Every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. And so y'all know what's coming. When you don't treat your, when you don't discipline your children, you don't discipline your son, you're just treating him like a bastard. You're treating him as if he has no father. Is that what it says? And so notice what, there's a couple of things that I really want you to see about this full mention of chastening, this full mention. Verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son, every son. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. That's the way that we chasten our kids. We raise them the way that we want to raise them. That's exactly what the Bible is saying. And look at what it says in verse, in middle of verse 10. But he, that's God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. When, when God, so when I chastened my children, it was because I want them to have a good life. I want them to know how to obey. But there really was in there, I don't want them to embarrass me. I don't want them to embarrass our family. Don't want to embarrass our name. And I would say that to them. It's a joke that we have now. Uh, you know, when they're leaving, uh, be nice to people and remember your name. That's what I'd say to them every time they left the house. Be nice to people, remember your name. And now we joke about it, but why was I saying remember your name? I don't want them to embarrass me. Right? Does God care whether you embarrass him or not? You know, I wanted the, our kids to get a good education so they can, you know, take care of me when I'm old. Does God need, when I, when I say something mean to Jacob, you know, I mess with him. He'll say, the nursing home just went down a notch, Dad. Just went, just went down. Does God need anything from us? All of his chastening is for our good. All of it. So what are we learning? This is the full mention of chastisement or discipline in the Bible, and it teaches us how we ought to discipline. So middle of verse 10 again, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It's such a blessing that chastening is a good thing 
from God. And even in, in um, human terms, verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. You know, discipline doesn't cause your children to hate you. It causes them to revere you. And that's, that's just part of this, if your discipline is done in a godly way. So, we've talked about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, the tongue in James 3, the restoration of Israel in Romans 11, the trial, uh, trials and triumphs of faith in Hebrews 11, God's discipline of his children in Hebrews 12. And then the church, we're not going to take the time to go there. We kind of did an overview of it this morning. But Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, it's all about the church. It's all about the church. And let us let me give you an example of how that will help you. Go to Ephesians 1. I've been using Calvinism as an illustration of error that's cleared up when you understand these full-mentioned passages. Last night, uh, across my YouTube feed, it was late, you know, 11 o'clock or something, James Knox's sermon, did a sermon on predestination about a year ago. And he read all of the passages on predestination in this sermon. This is where he started. He just read every passage on predestination. And, um, man, he just did such an amazing job talking about that. I, I had thought about just breaking down that sermon and bringing that in to show you how to study the Bible on a topic. And maybe I will. We'll just take, you know, one of Knox's or somebody else's uh, sermons where they're dealing with a topic and show you how to dig that out of your Bible. I, I just enjoyed it so much listening to it last night. Um, but he, he referenced Ephesians 1, and so let's, let's look at this. So Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So this is written to the saints at Ephesus, to this church at Ephesus. And what he's saying is, blessed, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What are those last two words? In Christ. According as he hath chosen us. What are those next two words? Okay, you see that? According as he hath chosen us, now take those two words out in him. According as he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. That's the way that the Calvinists teach it. That's not what the verse says. We're chosen in him. Who did he choose? Jesus. If you're in him, you're one of the chosen. Jesus is the chosen one. Now, we're not going to take the time to go there, but you could go to Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 45, and you'll see he is the chosen one. Jesus is the chosen one. We're not chosen. He's chosen. We're chosen when we are in him. So what is he doing? He's describing the church that when you get saved, then you're going to learn all of these characteristics about the church And it doesn't have anything to do, that verse doesn't have anything to do with somebody being chosen for heaven or someone being chosen for hell. When you understand what this is about, then it keeps you from error. And that's where that full mention, it really helps us. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ 
to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. All right, what's the predestination? Unto the adoption of children. What's the adoption of children? What is that? Go to Romans chapter 8. Verse 23, ready for the full mention of adoption? Here we go. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. What's the adoption? The rapture. When your body gets taken out, that's the rapture. So what are we predestinated to? The rapture. What's being raptured? The church. Do you see how these full-mentioned passages, they help us to understand exactly what's going on in the text? It's not talking about an individual. It's not talking about individual salvation. This is talking about everyone that's saved. Every saved person is in Christ. And every saved person is going to be taken out like that in a moment at the, at the adoption. Full mention. Full mention. What about the, the kingdom of heaven? Where do we learn about the kingdom of heaven? Well, book of Matthew. Because the only place that the kingdom of heaven is mentioned is the book of Matthew. So we learn about the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew. What are the Beatitudes? They're the king's rules for the kingdom. When Jesus Christ comes and establishes kingdom, these are going to be the rules in the kingdom. That's what's happening. When you understand what's being referenced, then you understand how to study that passage and how to understand it. The code, here's what Hartle wrote, the code of the kingdom and the laws that will be in effect when the kingdom of heaven is established on earth are presented there. All right? So that, that's when you understand what the full mention is about, it helps you. What about Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross? What, what is the full mention of that? What, what passage explains that? Well, go to Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. All right, here's the full mention. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isn't that a beautiful verse? The Isaiah 53, if you ever want to just, if, if there's a passage of Scripture that you ought to memorize just to help you know Christ more, but that is also beautiful, Isaiah 53 is one of them. John 1 is, is one of them that I think, you know, we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, it's just beautiful language that gives you unbelievable doctrine, John 1 if you want to memorize a passage, John 1 is excellent. If you want to understand what happened at salvation, memorize Romans chapter 6. Dead to sin, raised to walk in newness of life. That's, that's what happened when we're saved, when we're baptized into, the, into Christ's body by the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, memorize that. If you want to understand who Jesus is and what he did, it's amazing that God gave us that in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53. 
and I'd really challenge you, and I, I need to do this myself, pick some of these full-mentioned passages and begin memorizing them. So um, is there anyone here you have not listened to my interaction with the cultist that's on our website? How many of you have not listened to that? Raise your hand. I'd really recommend that you do that. Go to our website, just just scroll down, you'll see, um, hear Pastor Alter answer a cultist. So we had a a guy from The Way, he came and tried to disrupt one of our services. I thought he was just a questioner. I began answering him. And I didn't know what was going on. And then you'll see there's a change in the way that I deal with him when I realize what was going on. But the reason I was able to do that is years before I was challenged to memorize verses on the deity of Christ. So I was able to to deal with this cultist from the word of God in a scriptural way because uh, I had these full mention passages in my mind. Okay, so I'd really challenge you to, to memorize these things because when when the time comes and you need it, you might not have your Bible handy. When the time comes and you need it, you might not be able to pull it up. Begin memorizing these full-mentioned passages because they're fantastic. Um, We looked at righteousness by faith. Um, There's another one that's really fun, godly repentance. What is godly repentance? 2 Corinthians 7 shows that. The law, if you want to know what the law is, how about Exodus chapter 20? So people say, what is the law? We'll go to Exodus chapter 20. It'll show you. Um, What about uh, the... The, how, how does God tell us to live in the world? Well, for the armor of faith. So Ephesians 6, you put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand when you can stand in the evil day and you can withstand. It, it, it's just a tremendous passage, right? And you learn how to do that. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your, your loins gird about with the truth. The, those things, that's that full mention of what is the protection that God gives the believer in the world. And then what does it mean to be righteous and holy? Uh, what's the full mention of righteousness and holiness in, in, in a practical way? That's Ephesians 4. Let's look at Ephesians 4. Because people talk about being righteous and holy, but what does that actually look like? Look at verse 25, or verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So when I, when I, so I, he has saved me and I put on the new man, that's righteousness and holiness. What does that look like? Okay. Verse 25, wherefore putting, putting away lying Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Don't lie. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let not sin go down upon your wrath. All right? Don't be an angry person. Verse 27, don't give place to the devil. Verse 28, don't steal. Work. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Verse 30, oh, and then minister grace to the hearers. Verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you, and then be kind, forgiving one another. You want to know what righteousness and holiness is? That's it. That's what it is. That's the full mention of righteousness and holiness. There's nothing in that passage. There is nothing in that passage about your haircut. 
There's nothing in that passage about the music that you listen to. See, that's that legalism that we were talking about. This is much harder. (laughs) This is much, much, much harder. And yet, it's very practical, and we can understand it all very clearly. So, these are are clear, full-mention passages in the final judgment. How do we know what's going to happen at the final judgment? Well, Revelation chapter 20, great white throne judgment. It's it's all very clear. It's a statement, step-by-step statement about what's going to happen at that last judgment. There's no doubt that's the full mention of it. We don't have to guess what it is. Um, Then, last things. What what is the order of last things? Well, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus gives them the whole order. Well, let's look at it. And it's amazing that people can read this and mess it up. Verse 3. So Christ, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? All right, so that's the context. Jesus is going to answer that question. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And so every time there's a new war that's going to start, and so we're about to have the next world war when Russia invades um, Ukraine, and President Biden forgets his ice cream and doesn't know what to do. So we're going to enter into the next world war, and that means that Jesus is coming soon. I promise you, somebody's about to say something like that. Well, here we are, rumors of wars. The Bible told us this was going to happen. So now look at what we have. We have pestilence, COVID, and we have a rumor of war. If there's an earthquake, that's it. Can I tell you something? There's going to be an earthquake somewhere this year. It's going to happen. There's going to be a war somewhere this year. It's going to happen. What does Jesus say? That's not the end. You see, this is going to give us the, the plan. And yet, whenever there's wars and rumors of wars, people think, well, there's the end. It makes me think of Mark Trotter. I was listening to him, and it it just made me laugh when he did it. He said, can't you read? (laughs) That's the way that I feel when I look at this. Okay, so let's keep going. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. The beginnings of sorrows. And what God, there's no doubt that all of those things have been in the world since Jesus said that. In just a couple of years, the nation of Israel is wiped out. The city is destroyed. It's seized by, by Titus and, and Vespasian surrounds the city and then he goes back because Nero dies and he's going to take over the throne and his son Titus Vespasian stays there and destroys the city and so all these preterists people like R.C. Sproul well that was the fulfillment of that prophecy no it's not let's keep reading look at what it says in verse 9 then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake 
And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure until the end shall be saved. So what happens in the tribulation? All of that stuff that... Andy, it's good that I put the mic on. I'm walking down here. There you are. I know we got to be done. But just let me let me just say this. The people on the earth will not know they're in the tribulation period. So we're going to be taken out. Right? We're going to be taken out. The world's not going to know they're in the tribulation period because there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And now there's going to be a group of people that God raises up and they're going to start preaching this gospel of the kingdom, saying, okay, the king's about to come back. The king's about to come back to establish his kingdom. The king's kingdom's coming back to establish his kingdom. And they're going to be hated. They're going to be despised. And then he goes on and he'll say, when you see the abomination, which is desolate, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, don't go back to your house. Get out of town. Go and be pray that it's not, pray that it's not in winter. You get this whole process. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not on the earth or never will be again. And except those days be shortened, then no flesh, there shall be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, they'll be shortened. What's he doing? He's giving you the exact order of what's going to happen. But the beginning of it could be any time. The beginning of it could have been the last hundred years. Because everything that's talked about in those last hundred years, when was the Spanish flu? hundred years ago. But any time in history, you can find those things being fulfilled. But it's going to start happening in earnest. And then all of these other things will happen that are addressed in Matthew chapter 24. But if you don't take it as a whole and understand when this happens, then, then you can't process it. So this principle of full mention, it, it just helps us to understand Bible doctrine so well, but we have to have these other full mentions in our mind to really be able to process things. The Bible's a complicated book. There's a lot to know in there, and I'm just excited that we get to learn it together. Amen? Let's all stand together. My friend Lawrence Vance called me today. First time I've talked to him since, you know, he went into the hospital with COVID. He thought he was going to die. It was bad. He said, pray for me. It was bad. And so I told him I'd pray for him. He sent me an email that I told my wife. He's being very serious that he said, if I die, don't be sure that you get my library. He wanted to give me his books. And so being the great friend that I am, I emailed him back. Well, that might change the way I pray. <laughs> Today's the first time I've talked to him. He couldn't talk. He's been coughing and all that, couldn't talk. And I told him today, that um, I feel like, and then I said it to Laura later, that I've, I'm just now ready to start learning. Do y'all kind of feel that way, you know, that, that God's brought us to a place, even as a church, where there's been a ground, there, there's been a foundation laid, and now we can actually start learning something. Um, I, I can't, you know, there are preachers, uh, I know a guy, 62, 63 years old, he just retired, and I think, 
you've just got to where you've got something to say. Amen? Folks, we haven't arrived. We've not, as Paul said, we've not yet apprehended. We've not attained. Let's keep going. Let's keep going, keep going. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to study it.